welcome to Modern Anarchy, the podcast featuring real conversations with conscious objectors to the status quo. I'm your host, Nicole. On today's episode, we have queer leader and sacred intimacy teacher, Caffeine Jesse. Join us for a conversation about the power of ecstasy practices. Together, we talk about loving all of our parts, our limited understanding of orgasm, and refusing the regime of normal with fierce outrage. Hello, dear listener. Welcome back to Modern Anarchy Podcast. Happy Wednesday. Thank you for starting your Wednesday with me. I really appreciate all of you tuning in. And if you're new to the podcast, welcome. You are joining thousands of listeners around the globe who are full of fierce outrage about the systems that shame us and hurt us and get in the way of our ability to love one another, our ability to experience pleasure in our bodies, and our ability to express ourselves authentically. So you are joining a large network of pleasure activists. And yeah, I'm just so excited that uh, I get to say something like that, that I have built this podcast along with all of the guests that have shared their time and energy with us to, uh, yeah, y'all, this podcast is in the top 10% of podcasts globally. Like, I can't even believe that I get to say that. It's, it's so exciting. And, you know, I'm we're just getting started, okay? So, I don't know about you, dear listener, but frequently, you know, when you're a part of the minority thinking on these pieces, it can be scary going out about the world and, you know, not everyone seems to have these same beliefs, that same outrage, that same frustration, that same desire for change. But if this podcast is saying anything, it's that there's a lot of us that have these longings, that have these desires, and who want to see that change. And so... We're coming alive in this space together, and I have you to thank for that, dear listener. I I hear of you who uh, send this podcast to your friends and, and start conversations, you know, about what is talked about here and continuing to bring that into your community, and you are a part of this grassroots movement for pleasure liberation and I'm so thankful to have you with me and for you to keep tuning in each week as we grow together. I'm certainly growing through all of these conversations and I hope you are too, listener. I hope you're learning and being challenged and just expanding to new places that you could have never imagined. And that's certainly what's happening for me because of these lovely guests and the way that they get to nominate who comes on to the show next. Caffeine is Britta Love's nomination. So, um, and I'm just so thankful for this continuing movement of community grassroots organizing for our pleasure revolution. Mm. So, on today's episode, yeah, Caffeine talks a little bit about psychedelics and how low-dose psychedelics have been really helpful for them and you know coming off of our last episode with Dr. Elizabeth Sheff you know we were talking about the dangers of drugs and play and you know particularly edge play which is a very unique type of experience to be combining drugs with but again this is going to be a ongoing conversation on the podcast because the reality is a lot of us are playing, exploring, and connecting with drugs, right? Whether that be alcohol, let's be scientific about this, okay? Frequently, the paradigm is alcohol and drugs, as if they're two separate things when scientifically alcohol is a drug. You just happen to drink that drug. So I hope we get to a more scientifically grounded paradigm where we can acknowledge that yes alcohol is a drug and particularly a drug that's you know as dr elizabeth chef said one of the more dangerous ones given the way that it suppresses you know your body and your ability to function hence why at high doses people can die from alcohol right 
Now, all that's to say, there are different dosing, different amounts of drugs, different types of drugs in their experience. And that conversation of drugs and sex and play is just so nuanced. And I hope if you are having questions about that, you can go back to the episode that I have with Britta Love called uh, Sex and Drugs Are Gonna Save the World. Towards the end of that conversation, we do open up a discussion about what it means to engage in consent practices while on substances, while enjoying drugs, right? And gosh, such a nuanced conversation here. Like Dr. Elizabeth Sheff said, you know, there, the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom has been exploring consent conversations for years and how do you engage in ongoing consent. And so, yeah, applying something like a drug on top of that is really, really complex. And so I just appreciate the way that Britta Love had talked about it as, you know, addressing the multiple relationships that you have to these substances, to the people, to the type of play. And so I hope you can go there to learn more and continue that conversation in your community and learn, you know, best practices from the people that you're connecting with and other leaders in this space. And beyond that conversation, we also talk about the importance of ecstasy practices, right? I was recording this episode of Caffeine and I was like, what are they talking about? Like what what are the orgasms that I'm missing? And I really appreciated that they named various things that are orgasmic and can bring ecstasy. And so frequently within our society it's framed as, you know, sex and that's the one way that you can get pleasure. And that and that's that's if you can consider that pleasurable, right? If there's a lot of people that can't even see that as pleasurable without a ton of shame. So Let's uh, bracket that, Um, but for some of us, at least that is a paradigm where we can experience pleasure. And then beyond that, there are so many other ways to experience pleasure and breath being one of them, right? Can you tune in to the pleasure of your breath in your body, you know? Depending on where you're at, that might seem radical. Like, what do you mean the pleasure of my breath, right? When we're thinking about trauma survivors, you know, our body goes into protection mode. You know, there's the stimulus coming on that is overwhelming, that is scary and unsafe. And so our brain pulls us away from the body as a way to survive, as a way to cope, right? So maybe that connection to the body is is not there right now and I think that's why it's important to think about this as a practice, a practice of embodiment. You know, there are different times in our life where you might feel more or less connected, trauma or not, right? This is frequently what I see in my work with sexuality, right? When you're stressed out, we often become so disconnected to our bodies because we're up in the cognitive running the, I have to do this errand and I have to cross this and I have to do that and I have to do this So much so that we're not connected to our bodies and then we have that cortisol going on and pleasure is not front of mind. And I think this is why it is so important to be political when we're talking about sexuality and pleasure because we talk about capitalism, we talk about racism, we talk about sexism, all of the big isms, ableism, gender, you know, like let's name that. And understand that those pieces are deeply impacting our ability to be in our bodies and to experience pleasure. So this work is 100% political. And beyond that, you know, even when we're scrolling on Instagram, scrolling on TikTok, we are getting that constant dopamine rush with the stimulus But it's all up here in our cognitive. I'd be curious for you, dear listener, if you are on social media and you are scrolling, are you present in your body? Or is it just this continual rush of cognitive dopamine that you're feeling? And don't get me wrong, I have my days of scrolling on Instagram and using that, you know, as a a break, you know, from society and the world. But also, if we're constantly there, are we equally diving into pleasure-based embodiment practices? All of us are going to be on different paradigms with that, right? This could be the first time you're hearing something like this. Maybe you've been practicing your pleasure and embodiment for years, and so 
the orgasm of a breath that just makes sense to you. But I think I just want to stress here that you start with small steps, dear listener, and it doesn't have to be, you know, that I'm going to sit down and meditate for hours and feel into the pleasure of the breath. Start with something small that makes sense for you. And one question I like to ask people is, you know, what is one pleasurable thing you can do for yourself today? And that doesn't have to be sex, right? Maybe that is, hey, I'm going to go brew a cup of tea and I'm going to sip and sit with this warm tea in my body right now. Maybe that is, I'm going to go outside. I'm going to put my feet into the earth. I'm going to feel the grass. I'm going to touch a tree and I'm going to feel that sensation in my body as the sun hits my skin. Could you allow that for yourself? Maybe you want to take a bath. Maybe you want to eat a warm, delicious meal, some nice mac and cheese, right? Whatever that is for you, I hope that you can ask yourself that and incorporate that as one thing, at least one thing that you do for yourself in the day. Give yourself that space to step into your pleasure, whatever it might be, you know, As I'm saying this, I hope some thoughts are starting to get rolling in your head about ways that you could incorporate at least one pleasurable act for yourself today. And even if that's taking a moment of gratitude, that's one of my favorite ones to do is to sit and just ask myself, what am I grateful for today? And that practice has really built a lot of, I would say, my mental health in many ways. I mean, and I don't mean that in some sort of discrediting of the pain and the reality and all of the difficulties that we face in this world across various things, across various intersecting identities. But can you be thankful in this present moment that you have the ability to hear these words right now? that you have the ability to listen to a podcast, that you have the ability to take a breath, that you have the ability to, yeah, feel the sun on your skin. I mean, there's just so much there to be grateful for in a way that doesn't go into that Pollyanna, the world is all perfect and rainbows and butterflies because it is very much so not, to be very clear, right? But how can we step into a world of yes and? How can we step into a world of pleasure activism so that we can change these systems. I just agree so deeply with our guest today about the importance of embodiment for social justice. God damn, when we are in this world and we get news that there has been people of color who are being killed by cops the school shootings that we see, the mass atrocities that are going on in terms of what we're doing to our planet, the multiple levels of oppression that are wide across our world, we will get that as a news article in the morning and then you know what we're expected to do? We're expected to see that and then go into your 9 to 5 and act like everything is perfectly okay. We have created this world where the pains and the difficulties of our life have to be stuffed down to survive under these systems rather than holding the space for the embodiment of such pain and atrocities of what we're seeing. And so I do believe that pleasure activism, this revolution that we're talking about, is going to be a body-based revolution where we can actually feel the rage in your body about these systems. Feel the pain. Feel all of that. We have to feel that to be able to be moved, to create action, to have conversations with people that you love about these topics and and to do it in a way that doesn't get us into that trauma freeze response that I've talked about in this podcast of various therapists and healers and thinkers about when you hear all these things and, and just the scale of all of this, it is wild. And so it feels like there's nothing we can do. And that feels powerless, right? And so again, like I had said about trauma earlier in this conversation, When you have all these pieces of trauma and oppression coming at you, it makes sense that our minds would pull us away from our bodies to survive. But what would it mean to step into 
that pain and that outrage and hold that with the nuance of the pleasure that we do have at our fingertips and the pleasure as a tool for activism. I hope and I, goddamn, I pray that we are able to hold both, utilize both, and to make that change that we are dreaming of as a collective and as a community to, yeah, change the world. And I, that's a big, that's a big goal, but I believe in us. And I, I do believe in the grassroots nature of all of us, not just this podcast, but there are so many pleasure radicals out there that are doing such good work. And dear listener, I know that you're a part of that movement. I know you are a pleasure activist and that you are a game changer. And send me DMs of people that you think should be on this podcast. There is a contact page on the website and I'm always looking for other radicals and people to bring on the space and to work together to embrace the change that we need in this world. And so, yeah, thank you for being a part of that movement and for joining the conversation and for sending this podcast to your friends. And I'm just so thankful. And Together, we will keep enjoying the pleasure and fighting with the embodiment of our rage. And, you know, in honor of what this episode is titled and everything that Kathian said, I just want to take a moment here to bring ourselves back to our bodies and take a couple of deep breaths. I know there are so many moving pieces going on with the world, and I'm sure there are so many moving pieces going on with your life, dear listener. And, Maybe you're listening to this on your commute to work. Maybe you're listening to this while you're cooking. Maybe you're listening to this while you're sitting down and just purely focusing on the conversation. I'm, I'm not sure if many of us do that, you know, myself included as a podcast listener of other podcasts. I'm frequently doing it while driving or while cleaning or something else. But can we take a moment to be in our bodies right here, right now? I just want to invite you to pause. And notice how you're feeling today. Are those shoulders up by your ears? Can you let those go and drop them down? Can you find some more length in your spine? Can you exhale a little bit deeper? Together, let's take three deep breaths in this space before we dive into this conversation. We're going to inhale through the nose and exhale it out. If you're alone in a safe space, I really want you to sigh that one out. Let's inhale and exhale out. Let's take one more deep breath. Inhale. And exhale it out. Dear listener, wherever you're at on your pleasure practice, your pleasure journey, I hope you know that that breath is yours. That when you're stressed out, when the world is moving, you have the ability to take those three deep breaths or however many breaths you need to feel into your body again, and to ground back into the pleasure of your breath. I am sending you so much love. Please keep deep breathing. Keep fostering that fierce outrage as well. And keep tuning in. All right, let's tune in to today's episode. Well, then the first question I like to ask is, how would you introduce yourself to the listeners? Well, you know, I'm like an old person, a, a queer person, a, a sex worker, um, a sacred intimate user of illegal drugs, and uh, sort of basically an outlaw. Yeah, I've made, you know, kind of all the paths that have been so important to me and, and key to who I am in the world have, have uh, been kind of outlaw mm. paths. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I 
known as a like a teacher of of uh, intimacy education and somatic sex education mm. and uh, I'm pretty much like I retired from that I have an online program that I I offer teaching through but I'm no longer teaching uh, in the somatic sex education program and with that I felt free to be more open about you know kind of my explorations in linking somatics and psychedelics that have been an important part of my life over the years so yeah. that's just kind of part of my new public voice is that I'm really interested in in that weave and and that exploration which I'm just you know sharing a bit more publicly mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is that where you'd want to start part of me wants to ask like what's your story to getting here and have the space but yeah we could also start with somatics and psychedelics and kind of hop in there too yes I I don't know I, you know for for many years now I've I've um been developing practices with just with my friends where I do weave uh somatic practices and the erotic together with like fairly low dose psychedelic medicines and um it just it seems to have yielded just like amazing portals to like joyful <laughs> ways of being and and uh, enhanced intimacies and a sense of being able to be more uh, intimate with the more than human world. And so I've just started now that I'm retired, just kind of making that public and sharing that more mm. with uh, with others. And so, yeah, any questions you have are, are welcome. <laughs> I mean, let's start from the beginning of that. I mean, what does that look like? What have you seen? I have my own personal experiences and thoughts with it all, but yeah, I'd be curious what you've seen in your work. You know, I, I do think like there's so many dangers and I know. yeah, I'm going to be doing a webinar in the fall about, uh, you know, where I talk to people that are doing these practices more with clients, which mm -hmm. I'm not really doing, but, um, you know, and, and someone that really had a, a bad experience where they didn't feel able to guide the experience mm -hmm. and, you know, like a psychedelic can can put you in a place where you don't totally. feel you know or you feel expanded capacity that you don't really have mm -hmm. and um, of course this is no different than what I've been working with for years just in working with um, uh, somatics and the erotic uh, you know we're working with the same endogenous neurochemistry as the the molecules of the psychedelic medicines work with mm -hmm. uh, but you know just as somatic practices and somatic sex education can you know go, help us have these big somatic openings that help us see who we want to be you know can get, resource our, our neurochemistry by by orienting us I mean like, like yourself I, I came from background of trauma and a queer mm. person and like this constant cultural messaging that you know yeah. sex is bad I'm bad like you know where sex has to take certain forms that were like completely horrible to me yeah like we're constantly experiencing that you know the ongoing trauma let mm -hmm. alone the you know right. experiences of sexual violence and that you know somatic practices ecstatic practices and psychedelic medicines like they give us these portals into other ways of being and seeing and yeah just I understand something of the the actual science of it the, the neurochemistry of it and uh, how how they work with our neuroendocrine system and I don't think people you know we don't have to take psychedelics um, we can create the same kind of ecstatic somatic openings with masturbation or, mm -hmm. or breathing and you know for some psychedelic medicines or specific medicines really really help so and for me that's certainly been the case they've been like just wonderful resourcing experiences and and part of that has been developing a community of practice where I can mm -hmm. talk about it and integrate it and yeah. make mistakes and try something else and and that's been so key and I think if we only do our psychedelics in the sort of dominant culture paradigms where you have like a therapist and you have high like high degree of control and you have you know basically the kind of enclosures of capitalism and colonialism around the medicines then we're not going to really tap the the tremendous potential in them. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So what has that looked like for you? Like what has the medicine helped to open? Oh, like, um, intimacy, mm. like real, like beautiful loverships with multiple partners that where mm. we're just like, co-creating something like an us that could not be if we hadn't converged and been guided and assisted by psychedelics is mm. like so you know what forms of erotic joy can we explore what forms of um, being in the world can we evolve mm. that only we could do just like the two of us because like this feeling of wanting to be the unique one I am and to love the other for the unique one they are like in these kind of the dynamic of queerness um you know, I, I've been working a little bit one-on-one -on -one with people again in an, a new model where people come and work with me. And it's just, it's been amazing just to like, like these unique beings that we are can come together and like, what can we co-create? And yeah, somehow the, the psychedelics really resource that for me. And I think, you know, that because they, they get us out of the the default mode network of our mm -hmm. regular thinking patterns and give us that access to a wild mind, like a more creative mind. They do help us understand like our, like our traumas and the ongoing traumas don't have to define us like in the sense of being reactive, being fearful, you know, like, like they can shape us and we can choose something beyond them. So intimacy well i have i have this little thing intimacy yeah. ecstasy and integrity and to mm -hmm. me like all those three things can support one another and just that like the psychedelic medicine and the somatic practices together that i feel like they give me enhanced access to each one of those quadrants or <laughs> quadrants or whatever one third sure. of my little thing yeah that's rhyming with what you've you've experienced here you're, oh, you're absolutely right i mean it depends maybe on oh, the psychedelic yeah. at least like you know something yeah. like cannabis feels very different than mdma versus ketamine versus psilocybin mm -hmm. all these i mean maybe they're all same multiple doors to a similar level of consciousness but they've all felt different right yeah, but like totally. yeah that yeah. absolute like opening of the heart right to to feel sensation more in whether that's intimacy or even like touch or anything it just really opens yeah. up a level hence the risk to it but also what the reward here and these high risk high reward oh. states when you're being intimate with another person i mean it's been transformative and and every time i feel like it cracks my heart open a little bit deeper you know wonderful yeah mm. yes and I, I feel like the key is like evolving our intimate network so that we, you know, we can actually do it for each other, with each mm -hmm. other, you know, and be the safe enough, brave enough spaces for each other to, to keep evolving these practices. Yeah. And I guess part of this is maybe the intention setting, right? Because at least, you know, I'll see it in my work with clients, like, I mean, when the intention is to process trauma and other heavy things, like that's what comes up. And it can often be a, a difficult experience where really heavy memories are, are coming up at that time. So that's not, you know, that joyful ecstasy moment. So maybe it's about that like intention setting of going into the medicine with that experience of wanting to focus on intimacy and connection and the sensation. Well, I feel like trauma is not separate from that, right? Mm. Like trauma is not separate from intimacy and sure. ecstasy. Sure. It's it's like woven into our experience of the world. Yeah. It's going to come up. It's hard me because it's like a at least one of the words I like is the um non-specific amplifier, right? So and I also want to hold space for the reality that when you're on the medicine, it can take you places that you did not expect that you yeah. needed to go, right? Like that is a full reality and also the the ability to set intentions and redirect the focus. Yeah, I tend to work with like quite low dose psychedelics so that there is some greater element of choice. Sure. Sure. Yeah. That's a huge piece of that, right? Like we talk about psychedelics, but you have to talk about like the dosing of it, which can radically change the experience. Yeah. That when working like with trauma and traumatized people, like having 
more choice and I you know sometimes I I want to choose to go like deep into a medicine experience where I need a guide and I need you know I want to be taken like like this to surrender sure but in the kind of practices that I am teaching and modeling that that are different it's just more low dose and and more there's just more choice and and um having that experience of choice and efficacy and uh, you know with an expanded consciousness i I feel is helpful Mm -hmm. you know and the other might also be helpful certainly i I like to do it a couple times a year or something but but this is more sort of a a regular monthly practice or something Mm. yeah would you be willing to share what that looks like because i think Part of my like larger political hope is that, you know, I'm learning a lot in school. I talk to all these amazing people on the podcast. Like, how can we bring this information to be shared publicly in a free space like a podcast, right? So that millions of people can have access to whatever we're talking about. So I'd be curious if you could share a little bit more about like what that practice looks like. Well, I have like a number of different practices that I do and I have tried to share them freely through um, an online program that I offer. Right. But uh, like say one would be the, the welcome home practice where we take turns taking, like say in a group of three, you know, or not the sort of regular dose of MDMA, 3MMC, maybe some mushrooms, just depending on, you know, the people and what's their medicine choice of the day. But um, where where we can still dialogue with the medicines but also dialogue with one another then we might come together and take turns bringing some part of us that's been really hard to hold and so Mm. might be some like really uncomfortable part some like pompous ass part of us that people have really hated or some you know very traumatized part or uh, some wonderful and amazing part that people just haven't been able to hold because it's it's like too big and shiny mm-hmm. for people and just bring that part to to be held and mm-hmm. so we would take turns like dialoguing with that part trying to feel where is it in the body mm-hmm. what does it feel like in the, at the level of sensation vibration temperature color and um really try and like flesh it out as a somatic experience rather than having an interpretive like head head experience of it and then once we really get to know it at the somatic level it's like if that part had a voice what would it say how would that part like to be touched and and, um, so really to welcome that part of us that's been so unwelcome you know maybe some part you know, like say suicidality, it's like, oh, I struggle like with suicidality. I just want to get rid of that and be happy. And But instead, I've had uh, friends like, just like, okay, tell me where that is in your body. Let me hold it. Like, they're not trying to make it go away. They're just like trying to be with it. Like, mm. help me be with that part of me that's just like always ready to end it. And get to know it, get, let it feel held, let it feel pleasure. Like, what does it have to say? You know, what it was here for. And yeah, that has been like so profound for me mm-hmm. where I just don't have to feel anymore that I'm I'm loved like only for the, the good parts of me, mm-hmm. right? But that these other icky, horrible parts that I've wanted to get rid of and other people have wanted to get rid of can actually show up and be loved. Yeah, very powerful stuff. I don't think I've talked about parts work on the podcast yet. I I work and train and with the place um, that does the psychedelic work that works from an internal family systems perspective. So frequently oh, yeah. hearing about parts, but I don't think I've ever had someone actually talk about it on the podcast yet. So I'd be curious even, you know, you talked a well, little bit my, about my it. My lovers that I, yeah, my lovers that I work with are drawing on the internal family systems and I'm I'm more co- coming from the uh, archetypal psychology Ooh, I love that. stream and we weave them together and and yeah that uh, idea that all all the parts of us can be welcomed and integrated like you know they we might not want them always driving the bus but they all have something to say and mm-hmm. be part of the, mm-hmm. the council mm-hmm. of ourselves sure 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 so then in this sort of 
one that we kind of started to talk about, this would be a situation where you have two other people with you there and you're starting to talk about maybe a part that is speaking or like, yeah, what does that look like? How do you identify which part or is it a pain point or like, where do you go? Well, well, we usually come together with, a, you know, something we've been struggling with and we you know, create a part out of it and have these embodied experiences. And then like the medicine, you know, is, is an important part of it because it just it gives us spaciousness around our routine thoughts and habits and like our reticence around touch and connection and intimacy. And and so we can have these like profound embodied experiences of being held mm-hmm. in all our parts and that that's something I, I started doing with with my loves uh, Trisha Bowler and Michael Haynes so I should give them credit they have a, a whole teaching called uh, being held and uh, and we've been doing that together for many years and it's it's really yeah mm. become sort of a key part of like the way I want to love and be loved is you know like a a, an attitude a stance towards all my my difficult parts and unworthiness and everything it's just like well yeah (laughs) yeah I mean say more because I think a lot of people will have various parts of themselves that they absolutely hate and are shamed you know feel shame about I'm curious if you could flesh that out for someone who would probably resonate with the way that you've been able to accept and love those parts well, say, um, you know, we all have this part of ourselves that feels like so unworthy of love. Like normally, like if you go into a conversation with that part, like I said, oh, I don't deserve to live. I don't deserve to be loved. Then people would offer you a contradiction of like, oh, well, of course you do. You know, you're this and you're that and you're fantastic and you're just fine and you're so lovable. You know, so the person might be reassured by that or you know that might be what they wanted but if I go to my loves with that complaint they'd go like oh really tell me more about this Uh... undeserving part of you like what do they feel like you know where where are you feeling that in your body and then like I realized through those kind of embodied conversations like of course I'm undeserving like where did this whole idea of deservingness come from anyway and why not experience like the grace and the magic of aliveness and like the random luck of it and to I mean how can we experience grace if we're all think we have to be all deserving of but I mean that is preposterous anyway it just it gave me a whole new I don't know way of inhabiting the world and that sort of struggle for worthiness it's just like well I'm not worthy so yeah so I don't need to be mm-hmm. yeah whose definition of worthiness am I trying to live up to right that's always a fun one to really like yeah sit what, with. like hierarchical notion that there's some that deserve and some don't and you know there's this kind of register of deservingness it really is a weird idea yet it's so core that you know that people would think it's so unloving like not to contradict that statement of unworthiness right and it's so dependent at least I think on like the relationships you have rather to like society at large right and the close relationships you have around you right like that sense of worthiness I feel like is so predicated upon like am I accepted and so you know, growing up queer, you know, not being accepted by my family, right? Like that can do a lot, not being accepted by society that can do so much to like create that sort of narrative unworthiness. And so I always love to ask clients too. I'm like, yeah, to what standard, like who said this message and where, and like identifying that and then being able to let that go can be really transformative. Yeah. Yeah. There, see, you're already doing that. Yeah. And changing the community, right? Because if you stay in that community, yeah. it doesn't like it. You're still going to be ostracized. Like at some point, that's when chosen family, right, of queerness becomes really important. Yeah, yeah. And I know too. You had mentioned that ecstasy is a key important for social change. I'm curious, what does that mean for you? Well, I feel like. Um... You know, so much of our understanding of what we want, what we want to see, what we want to create, 
in the way of um, social change is like because of all the unsafety that we experience that we're we make safety our most important goal mm. and I you know there's been a, a lot of wonderful work through somatics through somatic abolitionism Resma Menicum's work on undoing racism at the somatic level about really stepping up into courageous resistance mm -hmm. um like really going beyond the you know retreat um into safety and pushing into more like like courageous embodiment and i, I just feel that's so important mm. and i want to just add that even like beyond courage and resonance with other humans and everything there is the realm also of the ecstatic basically when we go into our you know expanded orgasmic response how whatever that looks like or feels like and you know people have very limited understandings of what what orgasm is but i experience like the orgasm in in many different ways but it's like at the outer edges of our our nervous system where we basically that far from equilibrium that we kind of cascade into orgasmic response that can land us then in a sense of being done and feeling satisfied and I feel like that move like into like out from safety into courageous resistance into resonance with other humans and into an ecstatic response of like beyond our individuality into the mm -hmm. place where individuality dissolves and we feel like connected with with all of life that's kind of a primary movement of amplification of the nervous system that we can all become proficient enough at and practice practice it every day in many ways to feel ourselves moving out past the realm of safety into these expanded capacities and that just feels like key to social change movement to me because if we're always just just trying to stay safe it's like my safety your safety over mm -hmm. here over there mm -hmm. like it doesn't work yes we need our moments of safety but not to make safety like our go-to goal yeah i would say we need a pleasure revolution i would say yeah I'm signing up. For that. Yeah, I'm, I am ready. <laughs> I'm curious, what does that look like in praxis? Like what, where do we start? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to gauge with you and like, what would I start to do if I was trying to step into this? What do you do? Like, what is your ecstatic practice already? What are you doing? Now? What do you mean by that? Well, like, are you, um, you know, having great sex? Are you um, yes. masturbating? Are you using your breath? Are you mm -hmm. exploring medicine work? Are you jumping in the cold lake? Are you, you know, like going on roller coasters, like scaring yourself, thrilling yourself? I mean, eating an ice cream can be an ecstasy. It's, it's, it's like going to like brave ultimate extent of maximum reach of your nervous system into like the thrilling pleasures and in all the ways we do that singing uh oh, there, there's just many different ways to c connect with the ecstatic mm. and just like those feelings that we have I, I mean it can be activism it can be like being in a, a movement uh out in the streets um carrying signs being part of uh, of a, a group or being alone like a leading leading something or standing alone getting lost in art making yeah there's many ways where we kind of access an altered state of consciousness where we you know are able to feel this kind of transcendent oh, sense yeah. of, of belonging to something larger than ourselves you know everybody has different ways to do it but we're all already doing it it's like we we don't know or like get that this is important and that this is a shared thing and this is part of like like our our practice of being the full humans that we are mm -hmm. does that make sense 
Yes, it does. And I, I loved the examples of like the vast ways that you can connect to that level of pleasure and ecstasy, right? Dancing, sex, right? For yeah. me, it's also rock climbing, right? Or I went to the beach and I walked along the sand and I played in the sand and I let the sun touch my skin, you know, or being able to like play with nature. I did a little bit of an ecosexual conversation with someone a few episodes uh -huh. back, uh, right? So like all of those pieces and at least if I'm hearing correctly and thinking about this with you, it's that like those pieces and that energy, that life energy is also what allows us to be more active in social change. Yeah. And to be active in a way where it's just not all oriented to separation and safety, but where it's oriented to like feeling ourselves in this web of life and death and, and feeling like the, the pleasure, the satisfaction, the like, the expansion of like these outer reaches of our nervous system and that like when they study the neuroendocrine system it's that those times of like savoring satisfaction and savoring this like extent of i've gotten to some place that some expanded place that's where the neural rewiring happens. Mm. So when we want to become and embody something other than capitalism and colonialism would have us be, you know, like fearful, reactive, isolated, you know, showing up in our separated <laughs> pod for, for work and play and like without ever feeling like I am part of this biosphere, this weave of wonderfulness. That it's just to me, it's it's just a key resource for the ongoing work and and in becoming what we, you know, what we want to embody. Absolutely, and I think that yeah, more people stepping into that, it's it's counterculture, right? Like choosing your pleasure in our society yeah, is yeah, counterculture. Yeah. So quickly, people start to say like, you know, when we're fighting for social change, like we should be upset and angry. And it's true, right? At the same time, like most of us who are probably listening to this podcast have a tremendous amount of privilege. And I think that if we stay in that anger state, like it's also like ignoring the gift that we do have in our privilege of this world to like enjoy the pleasure that is possible, right? Like I, it's just such an interesting yeah. idea that like to be someone who's acknowledging their privilege in this world means that you have to be like sad and like always angry about the way the world is. It's like I, I, I at least hear, you know, from other countries, like people who look at the U.S. and be like, what the hell are y'all complaining about? You know what I mean? And I think there's just like such a nuanced answer to like recognizing the immense pain that goes on in the world and the immense pleasure and the pleasure that you can step into and how radical that can be to change the world by staying in that space. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a little exercise that I like to do about that of just hold. Yeah. And I mean going beyond to that that window of tolerance i i just recently put out a, a little movie on that of beyond the idea of the window of tolerance which is kind of like the like between freeze and fawn and fight and flight there's this kind of tolerance window but yeah i want us to go like way beyond tolerance like let's get deeply intolerant push away the powers that be and become like deeply empowered in our weirdness, our queerness, our fight for social justice, and and uh, an end to an end to what is in terms of economic systems, and then belong to your longing for what you don't have, and that is a very vulnerable place, and have the courage to belong to your longing and like really visualize what you long for and grasp it in your hands, and then. Bring it back to you, bring it back into your body and just feel, feel yourself, put that in your body and have it inside you. Know what you want. That's a hard practice for a lot of people. I think if you would have asked me that a couple of years ago, I'd look at you and say, I don't know what I want. Yeah. I mean, it's a vulnerable practice, right? Because that wanting what we don't have. Mm -hmm. And then that bringing it into our body. But it is also part of the, the rhythm of, of ecstasy, like to, to learn to embody what we want to be instead of just like pushing away what we don't. Absolutely. Want. Which to me, this is important. This is 
wonderful, important part of the movement. Be with the outrage and the indignation. Yes. But then also be longing and the belonging to your longing. Mm-hmm. That yes and absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I am furious all the fucking time, right? And being able to like channel that and honor that, I would say, has been a crucial way in which my intimacy and my sexuality has absolutely thrived, right? Like being able to tap into rage and then channel that, man, my whole life and like sexual power has like exploded with that rage. And I think that that was so, at least for me as someone who's a woman, like that was so tapped off for years, right? Of like, be nice, be the good girl, blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Very powerful work. Yeah. And play. Absolutely. And the way that those come together then and allow, Mm -hmm. because I think the more people that when you're in that state of pleasure, right, you're able to do more because the opposite is the, you know, trauma response, right? That fight, flight, freeze, fawn to the larger systems that be. Quite literally, we cannot, our body cannot exist in that state for long enough to make the larger change that we're dreaming of in the world. Yeah. And I mean, going beyond to that, that window of tolerance, I, I just recently put out a, a little movie on that of beyond the idea of the window of tolerance, which is kind of like the, like between freeze and fawn and fight and flight, there's this kind of tolerance window. But yeah, I want us to go like way beyond tolerance. Like let's get deeply intolerant, push away the powers that be and become like deeply empowered in our weirdness, our queerness, our fight for social justice and and uh, an end to an end to what is in terms of economic systems. Yeah. And you've seen more of that than I have. I'm curious from your perspective, what, what do you see these days that I probably don't even know as a young little person coming into this world? Well, I don't know. I see a beautiful emergent movement that there's so much, you know, trauma is happening and the, the terror of the imminent end of the biosphere. But with that, I feel like this powerful movement rooted in queerness, BIPOC-led thinkers, writers, teachers, healers, that I just like, everywhere I look, there's new voices, profound wisdom, Mm -hmm. just like incredible somatic practices. And I I feel like so thrilled by what I see emerging, I mean, at the same time, not to diminish the incredible violence of of the present day. So, yeah, but I just, I feel like I want to witness and uh, and affirm that this is happening. You're nodding, you, you see it too, you feel it too. I feel it in my yeah. bones. I mean, and I think we at least see it on the internet, like, you know, the access to these ideas that were, you know, you couldn't access in the past because of the powers at the top that controlled the narrative of what existed in life. And so maybe you heard about these ideas if you were in a niche little community. But man, when the internet comes out and now these ideas can spread like wildfire. I agree. I like I feel it, you know, and I'm sometimes people push back on me. So I don't know if I'm being too optimistic. But like, when I see the younger generations, and when I see the access to all these ideas, I'm like, things are changing, things are moving, people are coming together. And there are more of us than there are the people at the top. And I think that's going to start to move and shake the ground. Yeah, it really feels powerful. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate you. As a young queer person, just embodying that going forward uh, mm. into the future, I couldn't have dreamed up. But it's like like I would, <laughs> the thoughts that I had been trying to think and the, I don't know, feels like companionship that I've never had throughout my life in terms of like intellectual excitement. And, wow. and it's, uh, wow, so much is happening. Mm-hmm, so I'm mm-hmm. glad you feel it too. Mm. I'm grateful. I'm deeply mm-hmm. grateful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And I know earlier too, you had mentioned that we have such limited ideas of orgasm. I had written that down in my little notes over here. I'm curious if you could speak to that a little bit more. Well, um, people always come to work with someone like me because they think they're not having orgasms or not having good enough orgasms or having too many too quick or, you know, people have this idea of like this reified idea of orgasm and, and uh, what it is or should be. Usually I like to just get them to start paying attention to the orgasms that they're actually already having mm. and just like deepen in awareness of those. And, you know, how do we honor that? How do we focus on that? And what, however, you experience orgasm you see the orgasm in a, in a way is something like trauma because it's like you you have this very uh challenging experience of, of your neuroendocrine system where where you're challenged to the the limit and then orgasms basically okay i've reached the limit and that's that's that and so it'll it'll take you out it'll take you down again back to equilibrium so it's like okay this is as much ecstasy as as i can feel as i can get to today let's pay attention to it let's let's really notice it what does it actually feel like in, in my body in my being in my soul in my my mind and my pelvis and um yeah I, I like to explore how you can have an have an orgasm just with with your breath uh, with your imagination and just use some of these tools of, of like breath sound movement imagination touch to pay attention to the, the orgasms that we're that we're already having and give them value giving them them space to exist and uh, does, that, does that make sense yeah how would i identify the orgasms i'm already having that maybe i'm not even noticing well you can basically experience it with every with every breath we can just just notice that like with, with the in breath we we take in take in like expand our aliveness our more 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 and then like hold at the top of it in breath you're just feeling like this abundance this like maximum tension fullness and then just you get to the point where you just like you can't hold it anymore and then you just let go and it's uh, oh. you would love my yoga class <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, I make them do some like, uh, like Navasana little core work at the end, like right at the end, right? Like, I'm like, okay, let's do this. Let's do this pull. Give me more like squeeze, 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 and relax yeah. into meditation. And the amount of times I've thought about how that's orgasmic and maybe not generally, but yeah, like that's orgasmic. an orgasm. Like just every single breath can be an orgasm. Yeah. It's just like, mm -hmm. how much do we want to pay attention to it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And dare I say that, that that's the oneness, right? And that, at least for me, in that moment when I am orgasming, there is such like, I feel just radical mm -hmm. pleasure and I forget the sense of self and you're connected to that oneness. And I think that's the divinity of that experience. Can I call that my religious practice? I go to church and I pray every single day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It is. It's it's like like that's what we're actually doing. Like we're the Taurus of the electromagnetic energy that that is us. We just like let go of the edges of it and we just okay. And we just kind of flatline and become one with the biosphere and the earth's electromagnetic field. I mean, this is what what we're doing with every orgasm. And so that time then spent savoring, like in the Shavasana, in the satisfaction post-orgasmic bliss is a time of like profound prayer answered or unanswered prayer right mm -hmm. like we are one mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely and if i could gift that experience to people what a different world we would have right because at least in my past and i know so many people that i've worked with it's like you have that orgasm and then immediate shame oh my god oh my god what just happened cover the you know didn't happen didn't happen didn't happen didn't happen. yeah wasn't big enough good enough too soon but it's Ooh. just like yeah but if you just if you start just practicing like oh every breath is an orgasm then you have like a 
genital orgasm during sex hopefully you're just going to enjoy it and yeah. you know whether there's another one down the line or tomorrow's is going to be better great but mm. enjoy the ones you're actually having yeah we could tune into the the gift that breath is i would bet you that those orgasms are going to be even better <laughs> now this is not for everyone because you know when people have been deeply traumatized they've had that forced upon them right like that experience of the obliteration of of themselves into just like having to surrender the edges of themselves and so that's why orgasm can be like a real trauma trigger and trauma can also trigger orgasm there's a neuroendocrine continuity there that has to be worked with carefully so you know for some people tuning into that orgasmic breath is just, just like way too much too fast so it's just everyone we just come at the right pace and what's the right pace for you and it may not be you know you, you might savor the orgasm of like looking at a flower or watching a sunset or you know it doesn't have to be sexual or or genital i mean our breath happens to be massaging our genitals from the inside all the time and can be like an inner lover giving us an orgasm every minute but you know that might be like way too much too fast for someone so yeah it's just like what is your right pace and there's mm -hmm. so many ways to experience orgasmic bliss yeah you're doing such like truly divine healing work when you're working with people in that space <laughs> yeah. uh, i love that uh, laugh with it too yes <laughs> my somewhat wicked laugh I don't know. oh it's good I know that laugh it's good I know that laugh <laughs> I want to hold a little bit of space as we come towards the end of our time in case maybe there was something we didn't hit on that you really wanted to talk about so otherwise I have a closing question I ask everyone well I should try try and maybe say that I've put together an online program of my life's work which is yeah, which people could check out at intimacyeducator.com. Yeah, it's just kind of on, on the arts and science of sacred intimacy and like working with erotic massage and touch and genital mapping and working with trauma and all the things that I've made like my life's work. So just want to, I did want to try and mention that. So absolutely. Uh, thank you. Now, what were you going to ask, Nicole? I want to ask one question too. Is there anything that you would say to your 20 year old self in terms of intimacy and sex and pleasure? Like, what would you say to that younger self? Oh, it gets so much better. Oh, <laughs> I love that. Cause that's not the narrative. No, the narrative is still, still getting better for me, like way better. Yeah. Hell yes. And, that. and that every year I'm just like, Oh, wow. More. Wow. <laughs> so. Yeah. I love that. Loads. I love that. Joy to come, Nicole. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I'll ask the closing question I ask all of my guests, which is, what is one thing that you wish other people knew was more normal? Not being normal at all. <laughs> Hell yeah. That's the right answer. It's the secret right answer. <laughs> <laughs> Deconstruct the question. <laughs> well, that punishing regime of normal and like the whole idea of you know, pathologizing sexual dysfunctions and like, oh, totally. I, it, it's like so, so brutal. It's like the, the whole idea that sex education is about normalizing stuff. I, I hate that. I, I'm just like, I want to resist the regime of normal, like with fierce outrage. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It is not what I aspire to. I want your your whole wild weirdness and I welcome it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. What do you think about sex addiction too? Just curious because people throw that one to me too and I'm like, I don't like that. But what do you think? You no, know, yeah. I mean, I think that it's, uh, you know, if we have behaviors that feel compulsive, I enjoy like working with that by gaining in capacity to like in a in a realm of infinite variety, like like where all choices are supported but you know that those compulsive behaviors compulsive feeling behaviors are a way that you're keeping your sexual energy alive and for that i want to thank you because the world needs your sexual energy so yeah i i don't want to demean like that 
feeling of, oh, I really want this to be different and this feels compulsive, that that's something, yeah, that's a good reason to to work with someone. But what you'll learn, hopefully, if you go to the right sex educator, is that keeping your erotic energy alive in whatever way you have been in this world that wants to kill it and crush it and put it in a box is wonderful. And there's a gazillion other things. And gradually you'll you'll figure out and develop capacity to, to make other choices if that's what you want. I appreciate you sharing that and your perspective and for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Thank for, you so much. for sharing all of your wisdom with the listeners. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's a real honor. So appreciate what you're doing. Of course. If you enjoyed today's episode, then leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast and head on over to modernanarchypodcast.com to get resources and learn more about all the things we talked about on today's episode. I want to thank you for tuning in and I will see you all next week.